0: Father, I, I thank you that you are here this morning, that you are with me, that you are with us, and that you have a message that you want us to hear, that the enemy doesn't like, and um, we thank you that Jesus, you're high and lifted up, you're seated at the right hand of the Father, and there's no authority above your authority and you have made us co-heirs with you so that your authority is upon us and your authority is exercised through us. And so I just pray in the power of your might and name, Jesus, that your authority would be at work as it has been through music. Would it continue to be at work right now in this room? Would you capture our hearts right now? Would you focus our attention on your abiding presence? Jesus, would you move throughout the room and begin to touch souls even right now? Would you prepare us for what we need to hear this morning uniquely, specifically in light of our story, in light of where we're at right now? Would you bring about a spirit of vulnerability and humility that only your grace, Jesus, can bring? And yeah, we pray, have your way with us. Lead us, Holy Spirit, to Jesus, to see and feel his affections poured out on us, because we need that. We long for your presence, your abiding, loving presence, Jesus, in us. So Holy Spirit, would you be poured out right now in me and in us? We pray this in your name. Amen. All right, I was doing a lot of reading this week on misogyny. Yeah, because, because it's, it's actually being talk, talked about quite a bit in our culture. And misogyny, as I read a definition, is defined as the hatred of, contempt for, or prejudice against women. Or girls, and at first glance, because of the severity of that definition, it's easy to assume that that's not really a big issue in our culture. At least from you know my viewpoint, I can tend to think that way, and especially not in a Christian culture. But then you have the largest single-day protest in U.S. history take place in January of this year, called the Women's March, and we're estimated. Five million participants all over the world are crying out that women, still in a lot of ways, are being treated as subhuman. Or you, you come across these statistics like I did this week on domestic abuse. Every day, three women are murdered by a current or former male partner in the U.S., Every year, 4,774,000 women in the U.S. experience physical violence by an intimate partner. Or listen to this one. A woman is beaten every nine seconds in the U.S. And these are the only ones reported. God only knows how many more is going on that aren't even being reported. And, And on top of that... These are only referring to physical abuse, it's not including things like sexual harassment or emotional abuse. And also, there's plenty of statistics that show the undervaluing of women in the workplace, who aren't getting the kind of pay uh, pay that that men typically are. And now, what really gets complicated is how our culture responds to these issues. We're kind of all over the place. On the one side of the spectrum, you have someone that might take a more misogynistic viewpoint, where they see it's their job to fight and protect themselves in the world at all costs against feminism and the liberal agenda, and they, tend, they might tend to think that males are superior to females, and that women cannot lead, and that men are supposed to be in charge of women, Period. And the opposite side of the spectrum seems to throw out gender distinction altogether for the hope of equality and and to seek to throw out gender roles altogether in in the home. And male leadership in the home and church is seen as just outright wrong or oppressive and archaic. And motherhood is looked down upon and considered kind of like a sideline job and embarrassment to claim it as work because it doesn't really count as that. But for us what we need to ask is what does god say about this stuff man we desperately need that what does god say about this what does the bible say do you know do you know how to engage both sides of this conversation and all the messiness in between all the messy viewpoints in between with god's word with the leadership of the spirit bringing these things in line with the gospel the good news about jesus do you know how to help others regardless of where they might be falling on you know in this topic and in these issues do you know how to help them see what god's word what the spirit has to say about these things how the gospel speaks to these situations and issues so we're in titus 2 and we are three weeks into a a mini-series that we've been calling Healthy Family. And it's based on Titus chapter two. We're not taking a break from Titus. It's based on Titus chapter two, verses one through 10. And we've talked already about mentoring relationships. Last week, I talked about gender identity. We really honed in on some uh, gender distortions. And for today, we're gonna be talking about men, women, and marriage. And again, just like I did those two weeks, uh, I'm going to read Titus chapter 2, verses 1 through 6, so we're clear on where we're getting these topics from. So Paul says to Timothy, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. Older men are to be sober minded, dignified, self controlled, sound in faith, in love, and in steadfastness. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in behavior, not slanderers or slaves to much wine. They are to teach what is good, and so train the young women to love their husbands and children, to be self-controlled, pure, working at home, kind and submissive to their own husbands, that the word of God may not be reviled. Likewise, urge the younger men to be self-controlled. Next week, we'll hit one more topic on... uh, Gender roles, and we're going to talk about men and women in the church, just to give you a heads up there. And like I said last week, I want to say again, if I offend anyone here because I might use certain language that might do that, my intent is not to devalue you or dishonor you in any way. If you feel that I have, please come up to me afterwards, and I'd love to process that with you. So please know that. Um, like I started off also last week in the beginning, we're going to start off in the beginning of the Bible where we read in Genesis chapter one. Verses 27 to 28, where we hear a little bit about men, women, and marriage. So God created, it says, man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And like we said last week, we are image bearers of God. Image bearer of God is actually the core identity God intended male and female to live out of. As God's image bearers, we are made to know God and reflect him, make him known in the world. And in the Bible, we see that God is equal and different. God exists as three eternal persons in one divine nature. Therefore, God who is one is reflected through the equality of man and woman who are both equal image bearers of God. And this is why one gender is not superior or inferior to the other because they are equal in their core identity as image bearers. And I got to say this. This means when 5 million women, image bearers of God, are crying out injustice within our society and our heart, isn't at least to stop and listen and learn. We are off. In accordance to scripture, I would say we are off. And I'm not saying I agree with everything that they're bringing up because I'm talking about the Women's March. I'm not. I don't. But what the Bible is saying, they are fellow image bearers who God made and gifted and called to be fruitful and multiply and subdue the earth just as men are, just the same way. And so our greatest concern is not to fight against the liberal agenda. And for that matter, it's not to fight against the conservative agenda. It's to love and serve image bearers of God for the glory of God so that Jesus would be made known. Do we understand that? That's so important. This is is what the Bible is telling us. Also, we see that God, who is three persons, is reflected through the differences he made man and woman to be. For example, we see, and and for some of you guys, I'm going to be skimming on some of this stuff. I encourage you to read Genesis 1 through 3 this week. It would be very, very uh, good and important for you to do that if you're not familiar with those passages. But for example, Genesis 2, it shows that God created Adam first, and gave him the authority to name woman because woman was made from him, which, like I said last week, is, has a very significant meaning in the Hebrew worldview. He was also the one who was first responsible to steward God's command when God said to eat from any tree except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In Genesis 3 also, we see that the serpent, who's Satan, he goes to Eve and not Adam to convince her To eat of the tree that they weren't supposed to. And the serpent we see here is looking to undermine God's created order of authority in relationship between man and woman. And this is why after, which is interesting, why after the fall, God goes not to Eve first. He goes to Adam first, holding him ultimately responsible for the decision that was made. And by the way, the word that Paul attaches to what's going on later on in the Bible, he attaches the word headship where he clarifies in 1 Corinthians 11 and Ephesians 5 that the husband is the head of his wife, which, for point of clarification, by the way, doesn't mean men generally are head of women generally. That is a misunderstanding that is not biblical to, to say that. The context here, given in the context, anytime it's given in the Bible, it's in the context of marriage. Husband is head of the wife, not men. Men are not head of women. Also, God said that it wasn't good that man was alone. Eve was made to be a helper fit for man, it says. She was made to compliment man. And to be clear here, it is an absolute honor to be called helper in the Bible. The only person who is called that in the Bible is God when he comes to help and rescue humanity. And I think that's important to say because in our day, helper might give off the impression like it's unnecessary help. Does that make sense? Like It's like me asking my four-year-old daughter, Lucy or Lulu, to come outside with me and, and help me rake the leaves. Right? It's more about getting her to be involved in something with me than me really needing her help. But that is not what is being conveyed here in God's word at all. There is an essentialness to the help. It's like me going to my wife, Lisa, and saying, babe, please come out here and please help because I cannot pick up this load without you. Does that make sense? That's why man and woman are both given the mandate to be fruitful and multiply and subdue. Complementary relationship means that God made us different so that the weaknesses of each sex cause out the strength of the other. That's complementary relationship. We need each other. And this is why we see that God made Adam the primary worker and steward in the garden. And his consequence for sin is related to his work responsibility, the ground that he must farm. While for Eve, she was made with the unique role to bear children. Woman is the only one who's designed to form and nurture life within her body and from her body. And we also see that her consequence for sin is related to her experiencing increased pain in childbearing. And so what we can gather when we review and read Genesis 1 through 3 is that Eve is uniquely designed to reflect God as helper, as nurturer, and what godly submission looks like. Adam, on the other hand, we see is uniquely designed to reflect God as sacrificial servant leader, provider, and protector. Now, to be clear here, because we messed this up too, there's not... there's not like these super tight lines. Cause we, we tend to go that way in the church sometimes. It's not like women can't lead or work, or men can't nurture, or men don't submit. Of course not. The Bible's filled with women working, and Jesus loved holding little babies, and Jesus himself submitted to the Father in all that he did. But even so, even so, it's still hard to hear some of this, which makes sense because we're engrossed in a culture that thinks like we get to be and do whatever we want. But we see here, God defines who we are. He chooses and defines what marriage is and what gender roles ought to look like in marriage. And that's hard. That's hard for us. Because we don't get to do that. Because essentially what it's saying at the core of it is life is not about you. Life is not about me. Life is not about us. Marriage is not about you. It's not about me. It's not about us. It's about God. That's hard to hear, right? That's hard for us to hear. And these behavior roles in marriage, they're, but they're meant to point to God. They're meant to point to him. And this is why it is sad, for example, that motherhood and child rearing is looked down upon in our culture. Childbearing is an honor to your creator. And it reflects him powerfully, declaring his work of creation, of bearing children, his work of creation is beautiful. It's amazing. It's worthy to nurture and care for. Charles is also an amazing picture of how Christ sacrificed himself for the world. How he takes from pain, he brings new life. It's a beautiful picture of that. And I just got to say, if you have the amazing opportunity to be a full time at work raising your kids, please know that you are participating in one of the most powerful kingdom building and missional expanding, God glorifying work. I hope you hear that this morning, mothers. What you're doing is amazing, and it glorifies God. And, and, And in fact, we should regularly be in awe within one another to some degree and saying, wow, look how awesome, or strong, or nurturing, or look how loving or protecting God is through this guy or through this gal. We should regularly just be in Oh, how God has made us in his unique way to glorify himself. And be like, wow, isn't God amazing? You see, only when we live from our core identity as image bearers do we have true freedom to see things that way. That's what the garden's trying to tell us. This is why living from our core identity it allows us to see the differences in one another as an opportunity for love. As an opportunity for intimacy, not opposition and strife. For example, in Genesis 2, there's this really powerful scene where Adam and Eve meet for the first time as husband and wife in the garden. And up until this point in the story, Adam has actually never seen another human like him. He's only seen animals. And then God, you know, puts him to sleep and he takes out one of his ribs and he makes Eve from it. And then God brings Eve to Adam. And when Adam sees her for the first time, he proclaims these beautiful words. This at last is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. And she shall be called woman because she was taken out of man. And Tim Keller has this really cool saying. He says that this is a poetic way of saying, as I see you, I know who I am. I have found myself in you. I'm not just coming to another, I'm coming to someone who's helping me see who I am. And Adam, he sees Eve, who is equal and different from him. And he just communicates intimacy in the difference, he communicates value. Now, what do you think Eve is feeling in that moment? What do you think she's feeling in that moment when he's just expressing himself in this way? I'm needed. Wow, I'm needed. Man, I'm valued wow, I, I am desired. I'm beautiful. I'm beautiful. But that's not what we tend to experience or see in our world today, do we? Instead, we see violence in intimate relationships. Another stat, besides some of the ones I've already shared, reveals our bro- that it reveals our brokenness in this area, said this. Every minute, every minute, People, men and women, are victims of intimate partner violence. Wow, we're so far from the garden. Besides the epidemic of physical violence already mentioned, I read an article about emotional abuse that said this. While statistics are elusive, experts agree that emotional abuse for mostly women, but some men as well, have reached epidemic proportions. And despite its everyday occurrence, few of us recognize it, identify it, or even do anything about it. And I just have to say, this is a part of our church. This is a part of the church. And actually, in a little bit, you're going to hear from my wife, who I'm going to have come up here, and she's going to tell you how it's been a part of our marriage Emotional abuse is super subtle. It's defined as an ongoing pattern of behavior designed to control, manipulate, and subjugate another. It's husbands in the church who think headship means being in charge of their wife and tend to see the differences in their wife as a threat and not an opportunity for growth in love. This can look like wives feeling at times intimidated or bullied, or wives feeling they have to walk on eggshells, and are overly nervous and feel unsafe to share their feelings with their husband. This can look like wives regularly feeling like brokenness in their marriage is mainly all their fault, and they typically feel worthless and devalued as a result of that, which, again, is, it's really not too different than what we see Adam doing in the garden. Um, right after the fall, he went from praising his bride to putting all the blame on her. This can look like husbands not allowing their wives to have the same visibility and access to finance as they do. Or this could look like husbands forcing their headship role on their wives. And I just want to say, husbands, if you ever have to exert your headship role by saying, you need to submit to me, or you make decisions that impact your wife that she wholeheartedly disagrees with, but you you make her do it anyways... I just want to be really clear, that's not headship, that's not leadership, that's dominance. That's not what the Bible means by headship. You should never have to look at your wife and tell her you have to submit to me. One of the ways I've walked this out and learned this in my own marriage is seeing my role as not being in charge or even making the, being the final decision maker in my home, but seeing that my role is to make sure to do whatever possible by the Spirit's leadership that Lisa and I are unified on any big decisions that the Spirit is leading us to do, that we are unified, and I serve in that kind of way. And I feel that responsibility that there's unity amongst us, and I'll do whatever it takes by the Spirit's leadership in accordance to the gospel. Jesus doesn't intimidate in that kind of way. Jesus doesn't do that. What he does for us, he lays down his life for you. Ephesians 5 says that husbands are to lay down their life for their wife like Christ did for the church, his bride. That's what the Bible says. You see, Jesus who knew no sin for our sake became sin. He took on our sin as if it was his own fault so that in Jesus, we might become the righteousness of God. That's what 2 Corinthians 5 says. And that's what he does for his beloved bride. You see, headship means we get to take initiative in creating a safe environment that regardless of who was wrong first, regardless of that, we get to create a space where our wife feels safe to be vulnerable so that Hurts can be healed. Reconciliation and restoration can happen on both of us through the power of Jesus. And I I also just want to say this. Please know that God never condones abuse or mistreatment. And if you're suffering that, please seek out help among the church so you can be protected and cared for in that. Please do that. And it grieves me how often the church and whom Christ died for and whom God Through Jesus cherishes and lavishes his love upon, we can tend to look not much different than the world, filled with violence and abuse. We can tend to look so much more like the world than we do like Jesus. And we need Jesus to remind us who he has made us to be at the core of us in order to rightly live out what it means to be men, what it means to be women in marriage. We all need this. We all need Jesus to show us that. And we see that Jesus does show us that he is actually the perfect example of what God intended for man and woman to live out in marriage relationship. He perfectly modeled healthy submission. He joyfully and willingly submitted to his father. Jesus is the perfect model for what sacrificial servant leadership looks like in the home. Jesus says, I did not come to be served, but I came to serve. And in Philippians 2, he says that he didn't consider his equality with God as something to be grasped, but he emptied himself by taking on the form of a servant. That's a powerful word, a servant. He became a servant. And becoming man, he humbled himself. There's humility, servanthood, and humility in his leadership by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on the cross. And Jesus is saying, make it really, really clear, he's the one we need to go to ultimately, to look to and submit to, to get reoriented in what man and woman and marriage looks like. The good news, too, is that Jesus died on the cross for you, and Jesus died on the cross for your marriage. Jesus doesn't just wait and say, you know, you know, you, you got you to clean yourself up and you got to get right for his grace and healing power to be at work on your behalf because that would not be good news. If you had to clean your marriage up or clean yourself up before you experience the grace and healing power of Jesus. And in the, because what he does is in the midst of marriage and your messiness in your marriage, he looks to take your sin and your brokenness on himself. on himself and what he does in turn he makes us new people. He turns us Whether you're an adulterer, or you've you've been a victim, or you're an abuser, he takes all sinners and he makes us his beloved bride. He makes us his beloved bride. He cleanses us from any defilement, any unrighteousness, any sin, past, present, or future. He washes us clean and he treats us as his own bride. In Christ, we are married to God. I don't know if you know that this morning. Isaiah 54 or 5 says this. For your maker is your husband. The Lord of hosts is his name and the Holy One of Israel is your redeemer. The God of the whole earth, he is called. Do you know your husband's name? Do you know your husband's name? I'm talking about the husband. Do you know the husband? The Lord of hosts, the Holy One of Israel, your redeemer, the God of the whole earth. In Jesus, that's your husband. That's your husband this morning. Do you know him? And I'm speaking to male and female. I'm talking about marrieds, and I'm talking about singles. Do you know your husband? You do? Good. That's awesome. Do you know who he is? And for those of you who are single, y'all probably thought I forgot about you, but I didn't forget about you. Please hear this good news. You are not less than or in a waiting period for marriage and family. Marriage and family is not the pinnacle of Christianity and maturity. In fact, the Bible says the family of God is better than the earthly family. It also, and that might actually like, really bother some of you guys that put too much, too much on your kids and, and your own spouse. Jesus says, actually, he's better than them. And the family that he brings you to is what's going to last into eternity we got to wrestle with that in our American culture. It also says, in heaven, we're neither married or given in marriage. See, listen, if you're single and in love with Jesus, you guys got the best thing marriage has to offer. You got the best thing marriage has to offer, and that's intimacy with Jesus. Because here's the deal. Anything good that people have in their marriage, it comes from Jesus. It comes from Jesus. You don't need an earthly marriage to have it. And that's why Paul even says it's better to be single. He says that, and I'm being for real. He says that in 1 Corinthians 7. Read it. Because of the the focus and the time you can give to your intimate relationship with Jesus and not get distracted with your spouse, stuff like that. It's crazy. And he's not saying it's good to be married, it's good to want to be married. Please don't lose sight of that. But there's just a picture we don't want to lose here, that you have intimacy with Jesus and you have it by the spirit. He says in 1 Corinthians 6.19, or do you not know? That your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God. You are not your own. You are bought with the price by the precious blood of Jesus. He purchased you. You are his possession so that he can abide and lavish and cherish you. That's the relationship you have by the power of the Spirit at work in you. Single men, you're married to Jesus. Do you know that? Do you know you're married to Jesus and He wants to make you into a safe place for your female friends to come and get wisdom and advice and encouragement as they look to follow Jesus in all of life? Do you know that? Single women, you're married to Jesus. Do you know that? And Jesus wants to encourage you through your guy friends uh, through you and call out to call out their potentials and help them grow in their walk in Jesus in all of life. Do you guys know that? Also, for those who may never have biological kids, man, there's such good news for you about this new family God's made. God wants to bring forth spiritual kids through you called disciples of Jesus. Isaiah 54.1 says this, sing, O barren one who did not bear, break forth into singing and cry aloud, you who have not been in labor, for the children of the desolate one will be more than the children of her who is married, says the Lord. You see, you're part of the family of God. You get to participate in growing spiritual children in God's family to see the gospel propagate, to go forth throughout the whole world so that Jesus would be known in the world. You're not sidelined. You're not this, like, in, in this place of like mediocrity in Christianity. You are part of the family of God, therefore honored and valued by Jesus himself and wanting to be used for his glory in all life. Please see that. Enter into that. Wives, who might be battling with hurt and bitterness, Jesus is your truest husband. Do you know that? Do you know that? You cannot forgive. You cannot encourage. You cannot be a helper apart from looking to Jesus as such. That's why Ephesians 5.22 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as to the Lord. Your submission to your husband is a manifestation to your submission to Jesus. It's Jesus who is your husband. It's Jesus who you're following. It's Jesus who you're obeying. It's Jesus who is leading you, loving you, teaching you, growing you. It's all about Jesus. Don't get mixed up into the cultural lies and conflicts that go on. It's Jesus. You gotta sit with Jesus. He needs to lead you in that. My wife's gonna talk a little bit more about that stuff. Husbands who might battle with defensiveness or shame because of failure. Some of you guys might be like just head down, not doing well, in light of some of the stuff I said. Jesus is the best husband. It's not you. It's not me. And the reason why that's important is we need to humble ourselves before him. And we need to say, and excuse me, see, that he is a safe place and a secure place for us to be broken, weak, and fail. That when you fail, that it's going to be okay. That Jesus isn't going to condemn you or shame you or grab your face and stick it in the mud. But he lifts up your head. He's the lifter of your soul. And he wants to heal you. He wants to comfort you. He wants to breathe life into you. He wants to remove the shame and just lavish his love over you because you are dearly beloved. If you are in Christ, you are a dearly beloved Son of the Father. You are not defined by God in any mistakes you've made in your marriage. That is not how he defines you. Don't beat yourself up with that false definition. And I stand right there with you guys. You're going to hear some of it, man. The only way to grow as a leader is to humble yourself before the one who's already forgiven you, cleansed you, made you new, so he can help you walk out of that. And it will give you the ability to humble yourself before others and get right help. Please, please hear that. A a, a verse that I've been jazzing on that's been nurturing and healing to my soul, especially when I think about, and I struggle with my sin and my failures, The Song of Solomon, chapter 7, verse 10, it says, I am my beloved's, and his desire is for me. When was the last time you prayed to Jesus in this way? For anyone here. When was the last time you prayed to Jesus in that way? Jesus, my beloved, I'm yours, and your desire, it's for me. He's our husband. We're married to Jesus. How intimate is your conversation, your prayer with Jesus? Do you know that he wants to again and again show you how much he cherishes you, how much he loves you? I mean, he wants to nurture and nourish and give us, he's given us the best of who he is. He's given us the spirit of God himself in us to constantly show us how much he loves us. Do you know that you're his prized possession? He moved heaven and earth to come here, lay down his life and die for you, you, and make you his bride, make you have an intimate relationship with him. Isn't that amazing? Apart from having our affections grow towards where we're seeing Jesus as our pursuer and our ultimate lover. We can't get to any of this stuff we're talking about, just to be clear. And I'm going to have my wife come up, baby, you can come up now. Even the stuff we're going to even share, like, that's it, man. This is the stuff right here that Jesus wants to touch our core, the core of who we are and say, I'm yours and you're mine. You're my beloved. My desire is for you. Apart from that... Apart from that, there's no way we can, hey babe, there's no way we can truly walk out forgiveness and love in marriage. And so, before I have you share, babe, uh, I just want to say that um, we as the church, as the bride of Jesus, um, God intended for us to experience that kind of love and being cherished in that kind of way because he wants to make himself known through us in the world. He wants to basically take in this violent and broken world and put right up against next to it the way he loves, right? The way he cherishes. Our world is crying out to see something like that, that kind of intimacy. We're in the midst of different people who have no business getting along, at least in the world's eyes, are, are, are showing great intimacy and oneness. And that is only through the power of Jesus. We got nothing apart from Jesus. And you're going to hear some of that through my wife. So uh, this is Lisa, my beautiful bride. Welcome on stage. Babe, glad you're here. Now, I'll just say this. Uh, she's being very courageous coming up here. She is not one for wanting to be up on stage and doing any public commu- communication whatsoever. So I'm very proud of you, and uh, she's a bit nervous, but we are God's family here, and I just want to call us to encourage my bride here. Yeah, all right, yeah, rally it up. Yep. And, and I also want to encourage us to listen, because I, I, my wife has, I think, a lot of great stuff. Um, that she has to share. In fact, a lot better than what I probably shared. To be honest with you, I really believe that. And so, I want to have us listen to what she has to say. So, babe, uh, I have two questions. Let me sit down. I have two questions. The first one, um, I think it would be helpful if we we heard what are some broken ways that we've walked out our roles as man and woman in our marriage. Yeah. And if you can please take it easy on me, I'd appreciate that. <laughs>
1: Um, Yeah, Randy and I have definitely had a lot of brokenness. Um, The worst of it was probably the first three-ish years of our marriage. Um, Early on, Randy really struggled with being controlling and defensive. And then I, in turn, struggled with enabling him and then being quiet, which was actually just as sinful because of the reasons why I chose to stay quiet. I guess some examples of this would be Randy would get really frustrated with me if he thought that I wasn't spending enough time with people who didn't know Jesus or if I wasn't spending enough time like discipling people in my community. Um, I'd also get really, really stressed out planning meals because if it wasn't something that he really liked, he'd get really frustrated with me and kind of seem like he got offended. Um... It would also come up with like housework and laundry. And if I wasn't like on top of it regularly and managing it well, I'd get really anxious because I'd feel like I had to kind of justify to him um, how I used my time when he was gone. This, um, there was a pattern of unhealth also in our sex life. Um, and I'll spare you the details because my dad's in the room and I'm gonna spare him and I the awkwardness. (laughs) No, (laughs) but, (laughs) but in, in short, um, I didn't feel pursued by Randy in the bedroom and this was really, really hurtful. This was a source of a lot of, um, hurt and pain for me because, you know, this is a extremely vulnerable realm of the marriage relationship and, um, it would leave me wondering, like, what's wrong with me? Something's wrong with me, clearly. Um, And so, yeah, in general, it was just really, really difficult to bring correction to Randy without him getting, or and even share how I was feeling about any of this, because it would almost always get met with him either getting defensive and then kind of turning it back on me and making me feel like I was the problem. over time, I began to realize that Randy's opinion mattered to me more than anything. Anything, or anybody's, um, and that included God's opinion of me. Um, this led me to really enable Randy and his sin, and I even began, like I said, kind of to blame myself and believe that maybe all this was my fault, like all of these issues that I was talking about. And, I was the problem, because, I mean, he was so much better at arguing and putting words to things than I was, and so, like, uh, yeah, maybe I am, maybe I am the issue. Um, and so, because of all this, I chose to hide my feelings and not share the things that needed to be said for the sake of keeping the peace. I mean, my personality, I hate confrontation. I hate conflict, and in my sin, I'll avoid it at all costs. And so, with, with he and I, I just didn't want to go there. The arguments got too volatile, and I was just like, Meh, it's no use. Um, And I also decided not to pursue any kind of counsel um, for the sake of, again, for sake of keeping the peace, and I felt like somehow I'd be kind of betraying him because, and it seemed like I was like going behind his back um, and sharing this stuff when I know he didn't want to share any of this. And so um, even though, like, honestly, all the time, stuff would come up like, this is wrong. Like, something's messed up with us. And I don't, I don't think I'm off in this. Um, and just a side note, if, if you ever feel like stuff is coming up constantly and you're feeling like, I think there's an issue. I think I need help. Like, At least in my experience, that's the spirit, the spirit trying to bring stuff up. And he's wanting to heal stuff. And so, so often we can quiet that and and kind of quench the Spirit's voice. And, I mean, man, that's what I did. And it led to a lot of pain and a lot of brokenness. Um, yeah, we, we've hurt each other a ton. And we've caused a lot of damage and wounds in each other. And, unfortunately, that's just what happens when two sinful people are so close to one another. Um, but God has been teaching me so much about the healing power of Jesus, man. Um, in fact, there's a scripture passage that God recently gave to me through Randy um, that's brought a ton of a ton of encouragement to me as I was grieving over some wounds that Randy inflicted on me when we were dating. We had a, a really um, awesome conversation that we were talking through that. But you know, when you're going through hurts and pains, like you can, you have to kind of grieve it. You have to sit in the pain a little bit and say, "Man, this this hurt." Um, And the, oh, and I, yeah, I want to share this word. I think this is a word for maybe some of you women who um, might be experiencing brokenness and pain in your marriages or your relationships. It's um, Joel 2, 25 through 26. I'm going to read it. I will restore to you the years that the swarming locust has eaten. You shall eat in plenty and be satisfied and praise the name of the Lord your God who has dealt wondrously Um, wondrously with you and my people shall never again be put to shame how hopeful is that that's so hopeful Jesus offers us so much hope not only when he comes again and suffering will be done away with but actually in this life now he offers this Um, he made you his bride he desires to tend to you and nourish you and bring healing to you specifically, in specific ways, not just generally with a heart transformation, but in specific ways he wants to, to tend to you. Um, and so please don't resist giving yourself to his love and his rulership, because it's a good rulership. It's not a domineering one. Um, like, the, like the passage says, he deals with us wondrously, and he can, he can redeem any painful situation and completely rewrite your story and change the trajectory of, of your life really it's it did bad stuff oh my gosh
0: and we're talking about when 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 I was
1: she- when I was staying yeah that's right when I was staying quiet and I was choosing to yeah to hide my feelings um, yeah when, when you push stuff down that's supposed to come out I mean we, we learned um, Randy and I learned a couple months ago that the term the soul get what's the gets what the soul needs and the soul wants stuff to come out so the spirit can heal it and and my soul was crying out, and it would come out, I would just blow up at Randy. We would have horrible fights, and I would say awful things to him, cutting things to, um, to his identity. And another way, another thing that I would do um, would be just sending like really scathing, toxic text messages to him. It might sound a little trivial, but that was my way of kind of getting back at him, because that was my one outlet where I got to share everything I wanted to share without being interrupted. And it was it was broken, and it was it was pretty sick. Thanks
0: for sharing and that. Thank I feel, you for I reminding I me feel, about that. I feel that. weird that I reminded you to say that. <laughs> no, it's, it's good. Is <laughs> you hurting me? But uh, <laughs> no. But I, I hope you hear. Just even answering that with that question, what Lisa is sharing, like it might feel a little heavy for some. Well, it is heavy, and it feels like wow, we're like. But I hope we 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 got to be vulnerable. We got to be honest about our brokenness, man. Yeah. Where we, 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 we walk around sometimes in Christianity, and we just fake the funk. Mm-hmm. And it's no good to our soul, and it's definitely no good for the world. We got nothing for the world when we're doing that. Yeah. Because there's a true savior, There's a true mediator that wants to be true, bring true healing. But he does it as we bring it to the light. So we're just, like, part of this is just offering this up. Like, here's mm-hmm. kind of the brokenness that's been going on in our marriage. and yeah. uh, But God's been healing, too. So so that's what's going on there. And as an encouragement, like, let's, let us let's hold up our brokenness, family, mm-hmm. so that Jesus... Can meet us there, heal us, and yeah. bring transformation that He wants to bring. Because we're the family of God, not defined by what we do, but by what He's done in Jesus. Mm-hmm. So, babe, one more question that I think you know be really helpful for us to hear from you is: um, You're doing an awesome job, by the way. Seriously, <laughs> amazing. It's like you're a pro. Uh, what are ways it's been healthy and life-giving to walk out our role as man and woman in in our marriage?
1: Yeah. Well, I think it's worth saying we still struggle. Stin doesn't just vanish i mean you can ask lindsey she gets our housemate she gets to hear all sorts of fights (laughs) can get kind of awkward for but uh no but god is god has been super gracious in growing us closer over these years um i love that jesus is teaching randy over the years and what it practically looks like to lay down his life for me um one of the ways is he's really become a true partner in parenting with me um he doesn't just come and um, come home and sit down and relax right when he gets home. Which I mean, I know he probably sometimes really wants to because he's had a busy day, but he fully engages the kids um, he, and he doesn't rest until they're in bed and we've tidied up the house. Um, I'm, I'm also seeing Jesus, excuse um, me, help. Um, yes, I'm seeing Jesus help Randy really take seriously my self care which is something that I struggle with. I struggle with seeing the importance of it, but Jesus is really caring for me through Randy, and that sometimes Randy is like literally like pushing me out the door to go take a break, and it's it's so good. Um, and then also another thing is if things start getting heated between Randy and I, and we're starting to, to kind of go down that road of, of fighting, um, Jesus often enters the conversation by the Spirit encouraging me to let Randy know if he's coming across as hurtful or inflammatory or cold, and... I see Jesus humble Randy and lead him to initiate peace and to change his demeanor toward me, which is so huge given just the prior years when Randy would frequently get pretty intimidating in his anger. Um, Jesus is also slowly building my, com- my self-confidence through Randy. I feel truly seen and valued by God through him. God, true well, yes, God does. But Randy truly values my opinion and he acts upon it. He doesn't just, like, kind of pay lip service, like, hear me out, but then keep doing his own thing. But he really, like, I'm seeing it actually change him. And I actually feel like what I say holds the biggest sway in his life, aside from Jesus. And he comes to me to process almost everything, um, be it relationships, meetings, work stuff, just struggles that he's having. Um, and, man, this, this man really needs me. And, I, and I'm seeing it. I'm seeing his need, and I'm seeing how I'm able to, like, meet that need, the Spirit through me meeting that need. And um, it's pretty crazy. And this has, been, this has helped me monumentally in learning to trust that not only do I have the Spirit in me, but that I'm actually hearing from Him and that He's given me a voice to be valued, which is huge for someone who, for the majority of my life, I had zero confidence in um to speak up or to trust that i i wasn't wrong all the time and that was a huge part of my story even before randy and um and i were together but um it's it's been a joy to submit to randy's leadership and i know that submission is such a trigger word these days and rightfully so from everything that that randy was sharing before and then also just from my own experience, I know that it's it can be really horrible, but I'm at the same time experiencing it ultimately to be a beautiful thing because Jesus is at the center of it, healing and bringing life out of, out of brokenness. Uh, Ephesians 5 says, Wives, submit to your husbands as unto the Lord. Randy mentioned that. and I'm not merely submitting to Randy, but I'm ultimately submitting to Jesus. And I'm flourishing under Randy's headship, um, and really, becoming the meest me that I've ever been. I know that sounds kind of cheesy, but it's like the best way I can describe it. I'm I'm becoming me under under his headship, and it's um, and it's because I'm being blessed by the presence of Jesus through Randy. I'm experiencing Jesus serve me and lead me through the godliness of Randy, and I'm completely floored by the love and care that God has for not only me but all women. That he would design us to image him in this way to where he's calling husbands to to lead their wives by way of serving them and loving them as their own bodies and counting them as more important than themselves and everything. This humbles me, it humbles me to the core. I can't help but to respond in Thanksgiving and responding to Randy's leadership and seeking it out, and desiring to help nurture it, and help it, and encourage it, and affirm it. Um, again, the Bible, and again, Ephesians 5 says that wives are to respect their husbands. And for me, that's mainly looked like affirming Randy regularly and, and often in specific ways. So, um, for example, when I get the opportunity to see Randy lead, um, lead a meeting, I try to make an, a point to affirm just ways that I thought he, he led really well and, and cared for people well. Or um, I thank him for leading our kids in scripture memory and singing hymns at the end of the nights and how precious that is to see my kids grow up with that. Um, another thing is uh, making sure I thank him for helping out around the house and um, kind of picking up that burden with me. And then, or, or with preaching, Guess. I love this man's preaching. He is my favorite person to hear preach, even over Tim Keller. Um, and so I always I try to make it a point to affirm him every, every time he comes home, just letting him know, like, babe, you brought it. The Spirit ministered to me when you said this or that. or, um, Yeah, so those, those, are just,
0: those are just examples uh,
1: that Jesus has led me in, in affirming him and and calling his leadership out in him
0: um and i just want to say real quick on that like i can't tell you how much the spirit of god has ministered to me as using lisa as like a channel to just lift my soul up in those moments when i hear those specific affirmations so huge so huge and just my desire it changes my desires like man just to want to lead and be a servant and want to lay down my life even more and pursue the things God's called me to do it's such a game changer hearing that kind of affirmation i i just want to say women like you have no idea how powerful your words are to men and mm-hmm. and especially wives to husbands so huge so huge so
1: yeah. yeah you become a different person it's it's amazing um yeah wives it's an honor and a privilege to affirm our husbands because we are doing it unto Jesus I'm serving Jesus ultimately when I do this and it's it's a complete joy this is what this is all about everything that we're talking about it's all about serving him everything that I've been talking about serving about Jesus the whole point of my role as my husband's helper is is for the Lord Jesus Um. now I don't want to okay so bring it back down I don't want to romanticize this because sometimes this can be really hard because we're married to a sinner you know um like i've been talking about there's been brokenness in our marriage and so uh, but i don't get to just throw aside my role randy and our relationship because he's messing up and he's failing so when for instance randy's being unloving, submitting to christ as my ultimate head looks like praying and asking jesus how to respond i'm doing that often oh my gosh i cannot even tell you how many times i am praying jesus I don't know what to do with this man that you've given me. Help me! I do. You gotta fix him. I don't know what to do. <laughs> Tell me. Lead me. What lead me in what to do? And sometimes Jesus leads me to something as little as just asking if we can continue the conversation later, because it's getting too heated and it's not it's not fruitful. Or sometimes He lead Jesus leads me in suggesting we seek counsel from someone. Sometimes we're just we're at a stalemate and we need. Just another pair of um, eyes and ears to help us out. Um, my posture towards Randy, at least when I'm operating in the spirit, um, can still be one of respect because I'm being loving in my demeanor while I'm still obeying Jesus and how he wants me to act. And at times I've also needed to confront Randy and his sin. For example, if, he's kinda, if I find him kind of slipping back into his old um, pattern of control and anger, I've had to tell him stuff like, "Babe, you can't talk to me like this," um, and we and I won't continue this conversation until this changes. So, wives, being being a helper also, um, excuse me, also means helping your husband get getting back into line with the truth of the gospel and how they're treating you. You're not you're not called to be a doormat. You're called to help him, and helping him sometimes is is hard and it's uncomfortable. But helping him and bring and Shedding light on like an area where he could be sinning against you is actually good for him. And that's, and you're just a conduit of how the Spirit wants to minister to him in that area. And so it's really important. Um, I guess that's all I have. Um, I guess um, I'll say in closing that because of the healing work that I've seen Jesus do in our relationship and how Jesus takes sinful people and he turns us into his beautiful bride, no matter how broken. Um, and hurting you and your marriage might be. There is always hope in Jesus. He can rewrite any story, and he can redeem any brokenness that you've experienced.
0: Thank you. Can we pop it up? Thank you, Dad. Thank you so much.